You're listening to Soccer Report Extra with Bobby McMahon and Owen O'Callaghan. Welcome to this week's edition of the Soccer Report Extra podcast. I'm Bobby McMahon and he is... Owen O'Callaghan. Ready to talk about lots of stuff this week. Going to start off, Owen, um, Liverpool Spurs. Uh, a strange game in many ways, in as much as until that equaliser, I could see that, although you know Spurs were piling the pressure on, I could very much see Liverpool kind of hanging in for that one goal win. And then the, the equaliser goes in and all hell breaks loose. It was... I mean, I think we've talked about already throughout previous podcasts about certain Premier League games delivering in terms of entertainment and energy and urgency and all that sort of stuff. Liverpool have cropped up in those games quite a few times throughout the course of the season, (laughs) which I guess kind of fits the narrative of their campaign absolutely perfectly because on one hand, yes, uh, they've been thrilling and certainly getting their fans on side in terms of how offensively good they've been, but also absolutely frustrating the bloody living daylights out of their own supporters. Um, And this was just another kind of perfect example of it. Um, I thought that they played superbly in the the first quarter of the game. Um, Really, really good opening to it. They created some some really solid chances. Um, And Tottenham looked, you know, kind of like a bit like, Dear cotton headlights, and, and they didn't quite know how to how to counter it. Um, but then, I mean, as you said, it, it, it's weird how I think was it Roy Hodgson recently um, over the last couple of days is talking about how um, you know we've we've uh, we've become so obsessed with standalone details of a game rather than you, you're not kind of quizzed anymore on a kind of a, a whole game narrative 90 minutes and how yeah, both teams played yeah. you focus on individual moments which probably frustrates the life out of coaches because regardless of how well you played or how poorly you played it comes down to those um, refereeing decisions contentious penalties uh, people taking dives people getting a yellow card not getting a yellow card uh, and uh, essentially that feeds into the entertainment quality of the game because since this game ended it's just been non-stop back and forth right I mean people <laughs> scratching their heads going how do you how do you feel about it uh, did you because I, I feel this way and, and I'm not really sure because ultimately when uh, well, I'm sure we'll get to that uh, the controversy in a second y- yeah. but um, <laughs> I, I mean yeah, I, I caught myself in, in the midst of it just just saying Goodness me, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any answers. <laughs> I'm struggling. You get your, you immediately reach your phone to start googling stuff because everything is a little bit cloudy. Um, stuff but, that you've seen before, you probably should it. know the answer to it. But yeah, you're not, you're not really clear on it. But, but here's the problem, and I did a, a little piece on uh, for Forbes this morning on on it. Here's here's the problem: is the number of people that started tweeting out old incorrect information. <laughs> Because so much of the stuff that's on the internet is not necessarily dated and hasn't been up hasn't been updated, and so I've got people quoting back to me stuff that one guy replied to said, uh, "Try again." Well, this is me paraphrasing. Try again, pal. That's from 14 years ago. <laughs> well, if if we're going to be relying on the Twitterati to kind of come up with a definitive answer on these contentious uh, decisions. Um, you know, I, th- I think we we should, we should be yeah we should, yeah we should be waiting. Um, but this was um, <laughs> again, you know, you kind of have to laugh a little bit um, in terms of or cry. yeah, depending on who you support, I guess. Um, but it reminded me actually that the the last few minutes of this game. Um, Firstly, you know, c- certain things get completely lost in the in the like. I think Wanyama's goal. It's gonna be it's gonna be one of those goals that everyone forgets about, even though it probably should be one of the contenders for goal of the season. Absolute 
belter. Um, you know, and, and like yeah, he doesn't on. score a lot of goals, but he scores some goodies. And it was weird. They cut to the the replay angle from directly behind the goal, and you just saw how how he caresses it with that outside of the right boot. And there's probably a little minimal amount of swerve on it, and it just catches it. It was an absolutely amazing angle for that replay. Um, so I'm sure that that actual goal itself will forever be forgotten because of what abs- for, for, because of what happened afterwards. Um, but uh, so. Can can we take take it through minute by minute as to as to how this played out? Almost. Yeah, okay. So so I guess we 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 start well about six minutes to go. Oh, you don't want to go back to the first oh, minute, no, do no, you? No, no, no. Let's just let's just get to the good okay, stuff. Okay, just yeah. as well. Okay, so six minutes to go. Um, the ball's played through. Kane's in an offside position. Um, Lovren takes a welly at it. Unsuccessfully, um, rolls through a cane. Cane goes round uh, the partly around the keeper, falls down. Yada yada yada. Penalty kick. Fill in the bits in between. One. Well, here's the thing. So obviously, Deli Ali tries to slip a pass through. I think was it to Lamella was around that penalty area, and obviously then Kane was further forward, and yeah, Lovren tries to cut the pass out and deflects it inadvertently into the path of Kane who clearly was standing in what was an offside position but because of that touch what he did he did did he deflect it though or just well, well this is it? the thing because uh, i mean you you did the piece on Forbes when you kind of delved into the, the absolute grayness of of this stuff um yeah. so i mean it, it essentially comes back to what it comes back to a definition of 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 what a deflection is ultimately and what a deliberate, what a deliberate so, play yeah. under the the laws of the game actually is. So, so going back, and this is before your time with the Fox Soccer Report, I think uh, Luke might remember this. I think Luke might have been around. It was a Gold Cup game, and there was tremendous controversy around. Um, I believe it was the American winning goal that should have been offside because the interpretation the ref the referees gave us and the officials gave us at that time, the ball had kind of skimmed off, I think it was a Tiba Hutchison's head. And um, because of that, there was a claim that that had played the American uh, player onside when in reality the officials told us, no, no, you can't with a deflection. It's got to be intentional. It's something like, you know, trying to head mm. it back to the goalkeeper or getting the ball at your feet and turning and trying to pass it back unaware that somebody's there. That's the level of kind of deliberateness that was interpreted a few years ago. Well, two years ago when FIFA got the or IFAB got together, I guess, and started looking at this and trying to clarify it. And then, so suddenly what's happened, or what happened two, three, four years ago, whatever it was, the definition of a deflection became so much narrower that essentially some of the stuff I'm looking at is telling referees that, well, 0.6 of a second, if you've got that time to react, it's probably deliberate. If it's 0.3, then it's probably a deflection. Who in the name of... God Almighty is going to go. Hmm, was that a point three or a point six? Oh, maybe it was a point four five. What do we do then? Like it's just ludicrous. Some of the stuff they're talking about, and I think the point is you obviously read the, the article that Rowan Forbes is it's actually made it more grey and actually kind of unfair. I think to defenders. Now Lovren's was a misplaced hoof. But you could see another scenario uh, playing out very much here where a defender slides across to stop a ball going through to somebody who is onside but is trying to get behind them. But because they make contact, they could then play the ball into the path of somebody that's offside and then make them onside. That just doesn't seem fair to me. Yeah, because ultimately the way that I saw this playing out is that Deli Ali is... Because I I think where the confusion is is that so Deli Ali is is playing a forward pass so he's he's looking to be offensive with the ball, but Harry Kane for that possible moment where Ali plays that pass may not be active. So as in for instance, only Deli Ali probably knows that he was trying to play a pass maybe through to Harry Kane. He could very well have been trying to play a pass through to Eric Lamella, which would have been fine. Um, but the thing is that Harry Kane has now been rewarded 
for being offside because that's ultimately what's happened yep. here like Harry Kane is like if you think of it you're playing Thursday night five aside with your mates and some bloke is just goal hanging and now, yep. d- now obviously if firstly if you're playing offside at a five aside that's pretty hardcore <laughs> but just just for the point of the example um, how would you feel yeah. if yeah like you know you try and cut a ball out it kind of rolls off your studs and then suddenly that bloke who's just kind of like you know seven stone overweight and just can't move but now he's actually in on goal tucks it away and he's actually scored the winning goal you're probably going to feel a bit pissed off about it um, and and ultimately that, that that's where it comes down to you know common sense right I'm sure Surely, um, and I think this is the problem with referees, and and kind of officiating now, like that the the common sense element to it has kind of been eradicated, um, so so that they're now ultimately forced to second guess themselves something that appeared to be quite natural so straight away John Moss probably in that situation is going oh well Kane's obviously offside because I can even probably see that as a referee because of the distance between them now he's probably thinking to himself well hang on a sec there's been a touch here it, it definitely came off a red shirt oh that means that okay th- that means he's actually in in play and okay that means it's a penalty even though he does go to the assistant referee um to to have a little bit of a chin wag to see if the assistant referee can help him out and get, give him a little bit of clarity and 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 that's that's where he really got himself in a jackpot exactly. wasn't it with the stuff that's picked up on on the mic because because and goodness me a referee seeking some help and then being caught on camera trying to get some help you're, you know, it's you're you you've ruined yourself, you know, because but, but you know, but the other part where he really blew it was asking if the fourth official had access to a TV. Well, this is, this is the this is the forbidden this is the forbidden element. <laughs> the for- <laughs> you know, this is this is where everything became murky. So it's bad enough that Moss had a basically an, a, a a chaotic episode to try and get a handle on. Now he's come over and been caught on microphone to say, listen, can you help me out? Can even someone look at a TV screen? Oh, hang on a sec. No one's supposed to be looking at a TV screen yet. <laughs> and now you're on BBC Match of the Day and the guys are kind of scrutinising the fact that you've been picked up on a microphone. Um, so it, it, it's essentially the entire thing w- w- was a mess. The, ultimately, what happened then afterwards is that Kane steps up and misses the goddamn penalty anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So, it, like, I mean, you know, um, but as you alluded to in the piece, that's kind of neither here nor there because ultimately you have an episode that happens within a game that needs to be scrutinised for... Because, uh, like, you know, essentially what you don't want to happen is is for this to be... Because when I was watching this unfold, the one thing that... And I correct me if I'm wrong, Luke may be able to find this or dig it out. I think it may have been... Manchester United in the Europa League last year towards the latter stages the, the the one offside thing that comes close to this is the guy the player who is seemingly off the field of play uh, so, so you know those incidents where somebody goes in uh, to, to dive in on a, on a tackle and rolls off the field of play and suddenly then an incident develops a goal happens but suddenly you're looking at the guy who's officially off the field of play and wondering well because he's off the field of play is he active or inactive and that was that was when all of this came out with the Harry Kane thing and and this incident that was the first thing that came into my head thinking that, that it's a similar incident in terms of did we ever get to the bottom of whether or not this was, uh, you know, a player that was active or inactive? Did we ever actually get clarification on what the ruling is? Um, and ultimately, if in, you in actually dig deep and deep deep into some of the analysis, you'll actually find that covered someplace. But it wasn't relevant to yesterday, so I kind of skimmed over it. But that kind of uh, that has given us a couple of examples, actually, both the attacking and the defenders off the field of play. Just because you know, it's one of those things that. You you are very very clear in your mind that the last time this happened, I we we agreed yeah. that this was the right call, but now I'm after completely forgetting what the right call was, and it's as clear as mud again. Yes. And going by the, yep. John Moss's behaviour, uh, obviously it's very difficult for a referee in that moment. And and going by the statement that was subsequently released, Moss, you know, was was unclear as to what player actually had got the. The, the touch, uh, even though he, he was clear that it was a Liverpool player, it was touch. The confusion was that he wasn't sure what player it was, but he was very, very clear to begin with that it was going to be um, 
the play was going to go on, Kane went down, it was going to be a penalty anyway. You know, you have this statement that essentially backs Moss in terms of his behaviour. But it was, uh, and also as well, what added to the frantic sort of element to it was this was late on. You know, this was now, so th- yeah. it, it wasn't just something that happened in the 56th minute. It well, was, this was... This was potentially the winning goal. Exactly. It probably was the winning goal or should have been the winning goal. Yeah. Um, except it wasn't. Except it w- except it wasn't, and Carius, who was ultimately, uh, and again, I'm not I'm not sure he he came in for criticism because of the punch that led to the one Yama goal. Um, I think it's probably just because a lot of people don't trust Carius, and and anything that he's involved in it subsequently leads to a goal. I think lends itself to to a bit of criticism, whether it's fair or not. Um, he comes up, trumps, he makes a save, and you're thinking, oh well, well, hang on a sec, well, what drama we've had, and it's. Oh, this is all great, isn't it? Wow, Premier League, wow. And, and ultimately, everyone's going to go home happy. Cut to, uh, you know, the you know you, you get to those sequences in films, uh, you know, when you think, oh, right, this is where the credits run and we all go home and we've got a bit of entertainment. And then they get <laughs> you by surprise and then they just jump cut to something else or there's the grand reveal. And that was the grand reveal involving Mo Salah. I didn't know what goal this put me in mind of, but it was a goal that I've seen before in, in the kind of, you know, pantheon of the game, a famous goal. Um, I couldn't quite put my finger on it um, in, 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 in how he was so calm within a very, very... Uh, maybe it was the George Best goal that we actually discussed on uh, the, uh, the podcast last week, the week before maybe, uh, during the NASL, where he finds himself in his pocket and he seems to still be the calmest guy inside the stadium, even though like around him everyone is like falling down, trying to dive in to block, trying to dive in and you know kind of commit themselves. Or very much be very wary of touching him as well, I thought. I think there was the element where Vertonghen clearly has that moment of will I dangle my leg here or will I just pull out of it and that's kind of essentially what he did yeah and he and he showed him the wrong side as well like he's 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 so conscious of keeping him on his right foot that he actually gives him the shot on goal Uh, and there was also in terms of uh, how cool and calm Salah's finish was mixed with what the hell is Laurie's doing here did you yeah. pick up on that as well? Where it was like it, it, yeah. the, the praise for Salah was one thing, but it was also in equal measure uh, criticism for the goalkeeper kind of being a little bit out fox. His body position was a bit odd, uh, but uh, he was awkward. He was awkward. He just didn't expect. It, I, I, I think. think it. Yeah, I think it was a, a kind of a, a, a. Hang on a second. How was he? Ah, oh, now he's bearing down on me in goal. I'm just gonna have to come out here and try. Oh shit! And it's too yeah. late, and the ball's in the back of the net. Uh, the results of that. Yeah, when like, I was watching it live. I was just trying to figure out how he managed to squeeze it through because uh, Loris came out to kind of smother himself and, and just try and uh, throw himself at Salah's feet, I guess, in, in many respects. But what happened was he, he, he almost... The side of the, the, Loris kind of dived at Salah, but it was his legs that dived toward the ball. That his 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 actual his 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 hands were on the other side of Salah's body completely, and Salah. But it, I was still trying to figure out how Salah has managed to just knock it through the goalkeeper, and I I just saw the net start billowing. I'm like, wow, I'm not really quite sure how that went in. Maybe Salah's not quite sure either. But obviously that's it. Obviously Liverpool can yeah. t- can absolutely Grab you know it. you know Klopp is absolutely racing down the touchline. You know the next time he has a go at Mourinho in terms of behaviour or whatever. <laughs> you know, Klopp doing his best Mourinho Porto era Old Trafford, up, you know, dancing his way down down the touchline, um, and that was it. You were like, right, fair play. All the criticism at Liverpool got up to this point. It all goes out the window because they've got a win under the belt. Wait a second, maybe they don't. There's more. <laughs> but wait, there is more. Um, and there was, all, I couldn't believe that there was actually there was actually so much debate about this in the in, in the beginning because I thought it was a blatant but penalty the, and then people were like this is that's not a penalty at all this is madness and then even Klopp afterwards oh I don't know what the referees are thinking about and I was thinking oh, am I bad for feeling that it, it's a pretty stonewall penalty but see the, the other important bit we can't forget here is it did come after sending the big man on the big man yeah Llorente was on uh, which co- which which caused all sorts of problems. Yes, but the other thing was, you can say it was a penalty, but there's also if that was a VAR, I don't think it would have been given because I think quite clearly 
Lamella is offside. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I, I mean, I look more at uh, Van Dyke in terms of... Uh, kicking him up the arse? <laughs> kicking him up the arse. And basically just being blindsided. Just He just... He just does not see Lamella until it's too late. And now suddenly it's a bit of a panic and he's struggling and unfortunately there's a tangle and Lamella goes down and, and he just that's he just has to bear the consequence of that. Um, and But, I mean, if you're Jurgen Klopp, um, you know, you know what is it? Um, the, 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 he's saying that Moss uh, came to him immediately after the full-time whistle to say that he had make, made a mistake. Uh, that's the one thing that he had said after the game. Um, and, uh, I mean, Klopp clearly is, is just throwing his hands up to the, to heaven saying, this officiating <laughs> is the absolute worst I've ever seen. And I'm not sure he's getting much sympathy, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, in terms of how, you know, I think we've we've touched on how relatively confusing the Harry Kane episode was uh, and ultimately that the Van Dyke kind of situation I'm not really sure what John Moss is supposed to do in that situation also um, but I think I mean maybe is it a hint of frustration in terms of Klopp and and it's easier for Klopp to, to rip into the officiating than it is to um, perhaps count the cost of, of more drop points I tell you the other team that um Everybody around them were pretty happy. All the teams around them were pretty happy at the result. Two-two draw or any draw of any kind. Uh, when you when you're looking at teams that are competing for these positions, every time uh, two of the big teams get together and draw, everybody's got to be happy at that. I would think. Uh, yeah, certainly. Um, the you know I I think it we I think we've spoken before uh, on a podcast about um, the the concertina effect. Um, you know, Man yep. City. So and 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 but and it and it's weird. It's very very strange. I mean, it's it's uh, watching that game and watching the circumstances of it. I think all of these teams are programmed into thinking the same thing in terms of uh, the battle for Champions League places. I, I think there is an element of pressure here. I think there's a an element of um, when you know in in these moments, in these clutch moments where. You know those that kind of level of cold-blooded ruthlessness. You know can be applauded, and and uh, you know you have certain players who can handle it. This kind of was another game where you just saw teams, you know, sh- who teams who should know better and and should know how to manage games better and manage situations better. And instead, yeah, obviously it it, it taps into um, the, the whole notion of of uh, of box office and and us. Um, being so enamoured and and, uh, and 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 so taken by these high profile incidents and and a fuels analysis and fuels debate and all the rest of it, but ultimately I think, you know, it, it's uh, it's a reflection of maybe why these teams have struggled to to get close to Manchester City. You know, it was uh, in in Liverpool's situation again. Just observing a lot of their their fans and what they were talking about again, just that situation where. You know, just clear minds and clear thought, and you can you can easily get out of that game with a victory, and you can put a bit, of, you know, you can put a couple of demons to bed and move on. Um, instead, you're answering more questions. Klopp goes back on a training ground, has to deal with these players, has to deal with mentality. You know, maybe question marks about um, you know frailness there. Um, so I, I just I just thought it, it may have said more about. Uh, those group of teams battling for those Champions League places and maybe what it's doing to them uh, in in terms of the the psychological effect and and how valuable these drop points are um, than anything else. And uh, but yeah, I mean absolutely those. But when you think about it, when the the real pressure hasn't even started yet. Has no, they like were. I mean, what know, we're, at the we're not start even, of February? We've still got. Yeah, and the the Champions League isn't back yet. Yeah, and, and like that 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 tends to become the real. Um, the real canary in the mine as far as whether the teams are up for it or not the teams that really can manage um, fighting on multiple fronts because you throw in the FA Cup as well as a as as a another uh, trophy that some of these teams are still very very much interested in yeah and I, and I think as well um, I don't want to I don't want to gang up on on Klopp a little bit because I really like him and uh, but I do feel that um, you know I think we've spoken before about 
uh, about him and the Liverpool job and, and what's been expected of him and, and where he kind of, those marks that he needs to be hitting. Um, you know, you fast forward to the end of the season. I mean, if, if Liverpool continue to be this patchy, sort of uh, inconsistent, frustrating side, you kind of wonder come the end of this season how costly those results are going to be for them. Uh, you know, it, yeah. you know, just 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 how easy it, it can be, you know, for for any side, but particularly just given the DNA of Liverpool season so far, just just you know how how much they may live but, to regret those moments. But is 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 that maybe no not a a, a sort of um, a side effect of the Klopp personality? Because you go through the other teams, and uh, you know, without kind of looking at the Arsene Wenger situation, but the Wengers sort of uh, comments about teams who haven't won anything getting lots of praise you c- could you not say the same thing about Pochettino here um, you know like they've t- Spurs have dropped some stupid points as well um, Chelsea Arsenal you know Manchester United now and again but they've all dropped the points uh, or dropped points that you'd be very surprised at uh, during the season and so you know are, are, is that is that not a case of being able to accuse all of them of the same thing? Like, none of them, apart from Manchester City, have shown any level of consistency. I think given the fact that Liverpool have been, on their day, so impressive uh, going forward and so entertaining and, and hinting at so much, uh, I think those other teams that you mentioned battling for, for those European spots as well ha- have, have, had, have had difficulty in, in, in essentially kind of putting together fully rounded fully immersive sort of performances I mean Manchester United have been uh, dull uh, quite a few times this season Tottenham kind of the same you take Harry Kane out of that side they've struggled that you know so but in Liverpool's case they've hinted at so much and they've brought so much entertainment and, and so many kind of good moments particularly offensively that it, it leads you to think if only they could tweak X, Y, Z, they can be great. And yet, the tweaking just does not seem to be happening yet. So that's in it just on in terms of Liverpool. I don't want to be like pointing a finger at them, but I do think that maybe that's why they're being judged in a slightly different way. That because um, they brought it on themselves by a little bit. That ju- too just, just just that yeah. in in terms of that level of 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 slickness and. Um, you know how how easy they've been on the eye in front of goal. Um, I think that that it gets you excited essentially, and it gets you excited about possibilities. Yeah. Whereas with those other teams, um, it, it hasn't been to that same level. I think that yeah, ultimately um, that's probably counting counting against Liverpool and counting against Klopp as well. But you know, again, that's that's essentially um, that's that's how he has to get judged, unfortunately. And just to wrap this up, two two a fair result. Two two. I was thinking about this actually. Um, at the end of the game, as in one of those moments at the end of the game where you're thinking, "What was the score?" Yeah. You know, because your kind of mind is focused elsewhere. Um, I th- I think I think I think Liverpool let it let it um, really let, left it there. You know, it, it was. It, I think it was definitely a win for. It. I think um, particularly that first quarter. I really thought um, they came out of the trap so well, um, and and it could really have been. Uh, a lot more comfortable based on how impressive they were early doors and yeah granted you can always say yeah fair play to Tottenham for digging in their heels and and, and, and grinding and, and then obviously a bit of moment of magic kind of spurs them and, and pardon the pun but um, gives them a sense of motivation and, and gives them a sense of momentum but I, I do think I do think Liverpool uh, left it there and, and uh, it's it was really a, a, a win that, that that they let slip Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of part one. We'll be back in a couple of seconds with uh, part two, Soccer Report Extra podcast. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra. Keep up to speed with the podcast and get all the latest news, musings and rants from Bobby and Owen by liking us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Now, back to the show. Recording this on Monday night after the conclusion of all the games on the weekend, Monday game was Chelsea at Watford and I don't think many people would have taken a 4-1 Watford <laughs> win in this one which casts an even bigger cloud over Antonio Conte um, and I think you know the, 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 the rumours continue to bubble about is he on his way out and I think an important factor here is 
Chelsea's the Chelsea reality of facing Barcelona. Do you think there's they're going to pull the plug on Conte before that or are they just going to play out their hand to the end of the season Owen isn't it amazing that we are here and and kind of like renormalizing the fact that the Premier League champions are potentially going to sack their coach ahead of a Champions League tie in a knockout round and like that this has become kind of normative behavior and it wouldn't it certainly wouldn't surprise either of us if it actually did happen but it, it's a, 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 the you know the thing that i was i was thinking about was uh, blackburn 95 96 after they won the league and they came out the following season kenny Daglish left and ray harford took over and it was graham lasso <laughs> and david batty was yeah, it against rosenberg where they started pucking yeah. the face off each other and at the end of the season, Shear got sold to Newcastle, and there were just a, all of the, the wheels just absolutely came off that project. And I mean, this this Chelsea thing, I, I to be honest, I really thought that they were going to you know revert to relatively close to the mean. That it was a bit of a bad spell. You'll struggle through it. It's not going to be pretty, and Conte will leave at the end of the season. But you will get back to relative tranquility and you watched it tonight and it just seems like everyone wants to get the hell out of there it was like do you know what it was like watching an episode of of a sitcom that's entering its ninth (laughs) season and all the cast have movie projects but yet their day job they're stuck in this absolutely horrible set making really crap jokes and they feel miserable about themselves and they think they're actually worth a lot more and all they want to do is get out but it pays the bills <laughs> so they're just going through the motions it was like watching an episode of like friends from about the ninth season uh, like and that's kind of the the that really horrible atmosphere and i mean you said it in in your intro being tanked by yeah. watford I mean, a club that have had their own sense of misery throughout this season. They were played off the park by Watford tonight. And, I mean, obviously that there's been rumours before this fixture that Conte um, was essentially toying with the idea of, of, of uh, the ejector seat and, and just getting out of here as fast as he can. Uh, and, and again, rumours with, with uh, again, was it the, the Italian yep. job to, to go <laughs> back Italian to that job. kind of safety Talking net? Talking about movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he's supposed to blow the bloody doors <laughs> off. Anyway, um, okay. But it was. Uh, I mean, when when he comes out after the game and he's talking about how Chelsea played with fear. Yeah. You playing with fear against Watford? It's it's just that what struck me about the game was it was so. And I think this is really what you're saying. I didn't realise I'm just repeating. I'm not offering any fresh insight here. It was just so un-Chelsea it was even. Mm. It was. I would suggest it was even kind of worse than Chelsea in the dying days of Mourinho. Well, because it's the kind of game back against the wall, ten men. You know, most Chelsea sides over the last decade or so, I'd take them a, at least get a draw and probably win it, and they were in a position to get the draw, and they folded like cheap deck chairs. Well, it comes back to, it comes back to. You know those, those simple, stupid, basic fundamentals, isn't it? Really, I mean, you know, you're, you're either you're either with each other or you're not. Yeah. And it's in those moments where, um, you know, your backs are against the wall. You look around that pitch, and you think, right, are these guys worth fighting for? Or are these guys just looking ahead and thinking, you know, God, you know, where could I go in the summer? Speak to my agent after this. <laughs> You know, maybe put the feelers out. Maybe Tottenham look all right at the moment. You know, maybe because all and 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 maybe that is the situation in a dressing room. Uh, because ultimately, players aren't stupid. And if uh, going by and rumours don't start from 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 absolute thin air. So if if there are rumours that Conte's unhappy, which clearly he is, um, but that that has a massive effect, a seismic effect on the atmosphere, both on a training pitch and in the dressing room. If if that guy is detached and if that guy um, is is just different 
even 5% different, 5% less than last season. Players are looking around and thinking, hang on a sec, well, something's changed here and Man, Man City are winning the league at a canter. Why are we doing this for? Uh, and ultimately, the, the performance level, bit by bit, player by player drops and you're left with a situation like tonight where you're, you're probably at about 60%. 50% and you meet you meet a team like Watford you probably the eyes get you know the glances get exchanged in the tunnel before a game and Watford probably look at each other and think here boys you know these guys aren't you know it's like it's like in a in a bout you know two fighters go in there there's a couple of pot shots early on just to test to see just to test to see what the other guy is like I mean is he gonna is he gonna sit there and take it from you or is he you know, is it is it going to be kind of slow, meticulous stuff, or is the guy's head in the game? At, you know, at all. And very early, you can figure out if if the head's in the game. And Watford absolutely did, um, and they went hammer and tongs and came out four winners. And I mean, it's it's the other thing. Obviously, the internet can be a pretty nasty place sometimes. <laughs> all those photos of you know uh, Gus Hiddink, the photos of Gus Hiddink behind the behind the table in his Chelsea gear, you know. <laughs> calling Gus, you know, Doctor yeah. Gus is doc. Is there a doctor in the building? Um, can he come and uh, weave his magic again and uh, maybe sprinkle some stardust? Um, also, I mean, it's worth kind of mentioning, just in the context of this game, Jared Deofeu. <laughs> oh, I mean, looked like Maradona. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's that's how bad Chelsea were. I mean, he looked like yeah. the second coming. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He like man of the match. You got to give him man of the match, I think. He'd be certainly my man of the match. Um, I mean, also like, okay, you bring it back to the initial uh, question that you asked um, about Conte. They're still in the top four. Still in the FA Cup. Champions League knockout stages, but yet, mm-hmm. but yet, neither of us would be surprised. If what this is Monday night we're recording this. If yeah. Tuesday or Wednesday this week, Twitter statement Antonio Conte has been, uh, you know, Chelsea have parted ways with Antonio Conte. Uh, mutual mutual uh, understanding. We wish Antonio all the best in his future endeavors. Future endeavors. <laughs> I mean, we we would not be um, too surprised if that happens. Which, you know, I don't know. I've se- I've seen quite a few guys actually. Uh, who want Conte to keep hold of the job and, and, and want him to see out the rest of the season just um, to, to kind of see ultimately uh, what he can do because th- there's an element of this as well in that things have got really difficult for Conte really quickly and yeah. Conte obviously after the game tonight has said listen, you know I'm I'm the coach of this club, I'm not going anywhere Um but you wonder <laughs> Roma Abramovich said I'll be that I'll make that decision <laughs> yeah you just wonder if because uh, ultimately for, you know he, I'm not going to say he had it easy in Italy because it's the same people who say Pep Guardiola had it easy when he was at Barca and Bayern he should really have gone to Hitafe <laughs> if he really wanted to challenge himself really shouldn't he um, <laughs> yeah you know because every coach does that um no, I'm going to turn down the Barcelona job, actually, because I don't think I'm quite ready for it. I'm going to go to Strand Rar instead. Um, yes, I think I think the Barcelona job's too easy. I've got to challenge yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's too easy. I'm not going to take it on. Um, but in fairness, you know, in terms of uh, putting it in, in, in context, Conte uh, had, had a, a really great set of circumstances domestically in, in Italy, um, won everything, um, obviously, it, with, with the national team, you know, it was it was tricky. Um, goes to England first season, wins the league. This this is amazing. Now, when troubles come, you just wonder about Conte, his his personality. If he does decide, listen, I've had enough. I actually couldn't care less if I'm sad. Or ultimately, if he really wants to stick it out and say, Do you know what, I I'm not really a guy who wants to quit. I want to kind of just see this out. I know the league is gone, but maybe a cup, maybe you can salvage something. Um, obviously, Champions League looks very difficult. Um, but you, yeah, I'm not. And also, if he does go, I'm not sure how that how that leaves me in terms of how you perceive Conte then as a manager. You know that that you know once it got really hard at Chelsea, did he just decide to go? You know, you know, happy days. Off I go into the sunset. 
you know, we just we just uh, pitch up somewhere else and and try it again. But assuming that you know there will be a parting of the ways if it doesn't come in the next few days, it will come at the end of the season. But you you also go back to the, you know, the the, the kind of situation with Diego Costa, where for whatever reason, um, mm. the two of them could not see eye to eye. Now you know maybe it sits where it sits in Costa's court as much as it does Conte's, but um, that that was. A major loss to them, that you know we talked about this before. I think he was the answer. He's the answer, Chelsea, um, to the Chelsea question, and they had him, and they couldn't keep him happy uh, for whatever reason. So you've now got Morata, you've got Giroud going there from Arsenal. Uh, you had the ridiculous big man, um, some of the big man <laughs> suggestions you had as well. But I just wonder, in terms of Roman Bramovich, um, to I think. To the greatest extent, Abramovich held off and fired Mourinho too late. Certainly too late to recover and still get a Champions League spot the next season. Mm. Yeah. I just wonder if it's playing in Abramovich's mind going, am I about to make the same mistake twice here? Because certainly his momentum, in, in terms of, yeah, they are in the top four at the moment, but as far as momentum is concerned, they're not exactly one of the forum teams at the moment, are they? Uh, here's the other thing. You mentioned something interesting uh, a few moments ago about um, that their performance against what was, was very, you know, on Chelsea like. Yeah. Um, remember when Conte like as well. On Conte like, and Conte is as as a player on a pitch and as a coach as well. Effectively, he was on a pitch as an irritant. You know, he mm-hmm. he was a guy who who you wouldn't like playing against because he was he was shadowing you through the game. He had a lot heart, a lot of energy. Um, you know, a, a, you know, kind of a, a generous player in many senses of the term. And he almost fitted Chelsea really well in, in terms of you think back to Chelsea under Mourinho and Chelsea under 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 other coaches. They prided themselves on the fact that those players were irritants. You yeah. think of how many players they had in their squad who were nasty bastards. You know, the mm-hmm. guys that you just, that they just, they absolutely love the fact that you hated them with a passion. Um, and they, they absolutely love getting under your skin. And it, it led them to, to have that sort of winning mindset. We're in this together. We're a group of people. You know, you know, no one likes it. Almost kind of a Millwall type thing. No one likes it. We don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you go back. Costa was an integral part of that. You know, he he led from the front. Yeah, he was, you know, he cost he was costly in terms of possible suspensions, but he, you know, he was part of, he was an ingredient in terms of that. Um, and, and you, you know, you, you say something interesting, whatever it was, he seemed to fit that club very well. He seemed to fit that team very well in terms of what they do well. Um, and whether or not Conte wanted to go on a different route, you look at recruitment this season, you look at that type of players they brought in, you look at their team now, you don't have players of that ilk anymore. You don't look at that Chelsea team and you think, that guy's a nasty player. That guy's going to leave his foot in. That guy's going to whinge at a referee. That guy's going to be in your face. They don't have any of those types of personalities. And I think it's it's probably important for, for Premier League teams who want to compete at a good level to have those personalities, to have those guys who can snarl and who can, you know, get stuck in and, and, and also obviously have... The ability on a pitch to be great players as well, and you kind of get the best of both worlds. But you've got, you know, really the the, the identity of this Chelsea team at the moment is is uh, Eden Hazard, and that mm. that's where it stops. That's when when I think you know even if Fabregas, um, you know, like watching Fabregas flopping around like a you know a, a salmon that had got got <laughs> stranded on the shore <laughs> as he's trying to defend tonight. Um, it just struck me they're, they're you take Hazard out of that team what have they got left yeah in terms of I don't mean they're a bad team I don't mean they're a terrible team I'm just meaning you take them out of that that team and and there's a kind of Arsenal look about them without the smooth football yeah I mean you, you, you used to mention it quite a lot where you know teams at the top of their game champions who've, who've won titles or, or any sort of silverware Will not kind of sit on sit on 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 that situation and say, "Aren't we great?" They will go out there and say, "Right, now every, now we're there to be shot at, so we need to go back into the market. We need to strengthen in certain parts." You you look back at Chelsea as Premier League champions and how they approached um, their their recruitment drive last summer, and 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 as soon as it, it was really weird how as soon as you hear rumours of discontent, 
from a team that's just been crowned champions you have to wonder what's going on at that club in terms of um, targets, in terms of why they haven't been met. And then obviously, we mentioned this before, Michael Emanalo leaving, who was a, a, yeah. a key part of, of Chelsea's um, you know, backroom goings-on and, and in terms of signing players. Um, it just seemed a real mess. Um, and, and you know, yeah, granted, because the one thing you come back to is, and I'm sure people listening to this right now are thinking the same thing, they are the reigning. Ch- Can you get so much wrong in such a short space of time? Um, these guys ultimately last year were really impressive, really great. Um, you know, really consistent. So was so was Mourinho the year before the, he got the, yeah, fired. Yeah, there you go. If you don't, if you don't, or if or or if, if other things conspire against you, preventing you from developing and um, you know not being happy to just sit still, it can turn around really quick and bite you in the ass and I think that um, and as well Chelsea's that club there's a lot of moving parts going on behind the scenes um, well I guess a lot of clubs are like that now um, in terms of in terms of their overall operations um, but I, ju- I just think it's uh, it's been a really really difficult almost tempestuous season for Chelsea from the very very start and, and, ult- and ultimately the elastic band can only go so far before it snaps, mm-hmm. and I think that they they probably put on a on a, a a brave enough face for for a while, and maybe tonight is is the straw that breaks Cameron's back a little bit because a four one defeat this you know that's a really really I think it's what their second successive time that they've uh, conceded three goals in defeats in what twenty two years or something. Uh, Luke Luke can get that start or something. It's a really staggering, damning statistic yeah. to go alongside uh, tonight's loss, and it's 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 one that will that will linger as well, like a bad smell. And uh, again, it's it, it's about yeah. you know, like you said, it's it's Abramovich's call whether or not he wants to to clean house and think about um, what what went what went on with Mourinho before, or whether he thinks that Conte is a different breed and, and can kind of essentially into some degree um, wrestle it back and, 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 and steady it up well that brings us to the end of part 2 we'll be watching what happens with Antonio Conte over the next few days uh, we'll be back with part 3 in a couple of seconds you're listening to Soccer Report Extra with Bobby McMahon and Owen O'Callaghan be sure to follow them both on Twitter links are in the show notes below now back to the show We're recording this on uh, February 5th, uh, Monday night. Tomorrow is the 60th anniversary of the Munich Air disaster. Um, I was living at the time, although I was exceptionally young, so I don't remember the actual direct impact of the Munich Air disaster on that generation. But a few years later, and it wasn't all that long, when I started going to games, um, it was very clear, uh, even for somebody who was only six or seven, that the, the the way that people around you talked about Manchester United and Matt Busby and the Busby babes, um, it was pretty obvious what a massive impact uh, the crash had had on that generation. You're a, you're a couple of generations away from me, at least one, maybe two, one and a half, let's say one and a half. <laughs> um, what, is, what does the Munich Air disaster mean to that cadre of fans that are certainly weren't around um, when the crash happened but are very aware of um, the Busby babes and and, to, and their legacy well I remember growing up and I had a tape I had a, a tape that was narrated by John Motson and it was the, the official history of, of Man United and it had all of that pathé footage you know the the newsreel footage of all yeah. of those games through the through the 50s and 60s absolutely incredible footage but there is that moment in the history uh on on this videotape and it it you know you're you're getting caught up in this story about this young team and um you're seeing this footage of all these all these kids and i remember all of these the footage of them in a the training pitch and um, hanging out together and all of this footage of him is just them hanging out and smiling and joking and laughing together and you know they, they'd come through the youth team together and obviously they were a very very special and group of, of talented kids and and then everything changes the mood changes in the video and I must have been about I guess seven or eight watching this and 
then suddenly you get caught up in a completely different storyline where it was a, a plane in flames and footage of hospitals and Matt Busby in an oxygen tent and that famous game, the next game that they played immediately after the crash was Sheffield Wednesday in a FA Cup tie, I think. And normally on the match programme, you obviously had a list of players and they they just had yeah, a blank page blank. for the United squad. And yeah. just that really, really visceral stuff. And I can still see it as a kid uh, in, in my living room in Cork, growing up in Ireland. And um, it, it, it's a, a very, very... And it's weird. You, you, again, you kind of mentioned a generational thing. You kind of grow older, and you, you're obviously more familiar with the story. But then it comes back to to you in some different ways. Like I remember, um, Bobby Charlton released his autobiography a couple of years ago, and I picked up a copy. It's one of those things you pick it up maybe in an airport, and you're not really expecting much from it. Bobby Charlton's obviously an older man. You know, you're kind of saying, oh, it, it's probably going to be a bit dry or whatever in terms of content. He's obviously gone through all these stories so many times. What what new material is he going to bring to it? And I tell you what, maybe it's to do with, with men of a certain age or people of a certain age where, where you know, they, they seem a little bit more vulnerable and maybe they, they, they kind of open up a little bit more. The way that Charlton talks about the crash and the stuff that he touches on in the book about the fact that uh, this this never-ending question he's asked himself for his life why why did I survive it why and you know like he he had a reputation as a player that he was a little bit standoffish that he was a little bit different Bobby Charlton and you can absolutely understand why <laughs> because I mean here he is I'm not sure how old Bobby Bobby Charlton is now is, is he 80 maybe over 80 um, oh, he's, he's got to be, uh, well, he would have been about uh, 20 and 58, so he's got 30. I think he's 81, probably 80, yeah. So when he is that age and still absolutely tortured by this episode in his life and still asking questions that probably don't really have any answers, um, you know, even they had a reunion, that's the wrong word to use in, in this sort of um, kind of type of discussion, but they had a, a reunion like they always do on the anniversary in Manchester over the weekend. Um, and Harry Gregg, the goalkeeper who also survived the crash, a Northern Ireland goalkeeper, played in the 58 World Cup. Um, yeah. Again, in a similar way to, to Bobby Charlton, he did not attend. 60th anniversary did not attend because because it's 60th and maybe a little bit different from, from others. It would just be too emotional. Meeting people he hasn't seen in a while, connected to family, grandkids, grandnephews, um, aunts, uncles, sisters, brothers, whoever it is, of, of guys that he would have played in as part of that team. And it just would have been too much for him. And it's uh, it's kind of staggering, really. You know, you think it's sixty years, but um, you you still get caught up in in the the. You know, for, for me, there was an Irish player, Liam Whelan, was one of the players who was killed. Um, Billy yep, Whelan. Billy and, Whelan. You know, again, that makes things. You know, he was from Cabra. Uh, you know, in Dublin, really close to the city centre, and and he was a special talent. And I think everyone, you know, I, I think even Fergie tells a story about growing up in Glasgow. And going to see the Coronation Cup. Do you remember the Coronation Cup when it was held in Glasgow? That's just before mine time, but the Celtic won it. Yeah, it was in the final. And he, yeah. I think Fer yeah, Fergie always tells a story that um, United were invited to take part uh, in it, which is obviously to celebrate the Queen's Coronation. And he always talks about um, the size of the crowd who went to attend the United games. That there was something about the club that seemed to kind of just stir the interest of people even though it was happening outside of you know where they play their home games there was something about in the ingredients of the or the dna of the club that just you know people just seem to have an affinity with them for whatever reason and obviously after the munich crash um you know obviously the the, the fact that busby survived and um for a while edward survived but then perished and and um came but busby came back and rebuilt and I mean, you talk about romance, and you talk about um, a, a story that you know has has ultimately, with nineteen sixty eight, ten years afterwards, has a neat kind of bow tied around it. Um, but my word, I mean, I, the, the, ultimately, that the, there's guys who are embedded in that story, and and it's still, it, I'm sure, it's just like yesterday. 
for them. The, the, this, you know, you, you look at the, and we talked a little bit about it last week. I think it was the the FA Cup final in 1963 when Manchester United beat Leicester. Mm. Really, essentially, it took. Although United didn't didn't play particularly well and didn't get very good results that year in the first division, uh, but the back they came back and they won the FA Cup that year. That was within five years. That is phenomenal itself. And then to go on and win two league championships after that, I believe. 65 and 67, yeah. Yeah, and go to the European Cup final again. Or or go to the European Cup final this time. Um, Real Madrid in the semi-final. 3-3 at Old... I think it was was 3-2 at Old Trafford or something. Mm -hmm. And they got a draw at... at, um, uh, Bernabeu I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the specifics of it but then to actually go and play Benfica who were one of the power clubs in the 60s and beat them all within 10 years is an absolutely amazing story in itself but I just want to very quickly take you back to the Bobby Charlton thing because I read that book as well mm. but there was another book that Charlton wrote and I think it goes back to about just after the England won the World Cup and maybe, so that we're talking about maybe 66, 67 so that's, we're coming up round about the, you know, uh, 10 years after after Munich I read that Bobby Charlton book again, I got it as a kid and I read it again before I re- read his new um, autobiography mm. and there's virtually nothing in it, in the first book about the Munich disaster with any sort of level of personal feelings about wow. it. It mentions it. It's terrible. You know, these were my friends, blah, blah, blah. That's the end of it. But the stuff he got into in the book, it was almost like, I got the feeling when I read it, it was almost stuff that, you know, it, it was it was finally, as he's beginning to see, you know, as, as we all do, we, we begin to see, wonder what we're going to be left, what, what our legacy is going to be left with. And I, I got the feeling with Wobby Charlton's book, the second book, that it was, he felt he was at a time when, I wouldn't say unburden himself, but he felt comfortable and much more comfortable actually expressing these very personal feelings about the loss of, that he suffered and the burden he carried, and it was a massive burden he carried, um, because you look at Duncan Edwards died, Roger Burden, the captain, died, Tony Taylor. You go through the eight players. Um, you know, the 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 reinvigoration and the rebuilding of Manchester United and England centres. Yeah, and England centred around Bobby Charlton. If Duncan Edwards, I've, I've had this discussion many, many times with many people, if Duncan, Char- Duncan Edwards had survived, it's very unlikely Bobby Moore would have even played in the English team in 66, let alone pick up the World Cup. And there was some other players that that would affect it as well. There is one other, I remember, again, you, it's weird the things you hold on to from your childhood, but um, I was probably about thir- 12 or 13 and I, I got a copy of a book uh, you you remember um, John Roberts, a prolific football writer, Daily Express, yep. what Guardian, uh, lots lots of lots of, uh, of of great football writing. Um, he wrote an absolutely amazing book called uh, The Team That Wouldn't Die um, in the seventies, uh, which was about the Munich crash. and And I got it. Must have been I was I was twelve or thirteen. And it's the for anyone you know, kind of listening to this podcast and wondering, God, you know, I'm not, I don't know much about it, you know. If you can track down a copy of this book, um, the, the the team that wouldn't die, um, it's 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 absolutely incredible. But one part of the book, um, and this is one one element I briefly want to touch on because Luca, I'm sure, wants us to finish up. But um, he, John Roberts, goes and, and interviews uh, James Tane, who was the pilot. Pilot. And yeah. James Tane, obviously, incredibly difficult um, experience for for everyone involved in in the crash. James Thane survived the crash, um, but he received so much of the blame for what happened. Um, And despite the fact that there were four inquiries, I think there was two German inquiries and two British inquiries. Um, He was 37. um, No, sorry. I think the crash actually happened the day before his birthday. So he may have been 36. He didn't fly a plane ever again. And it wasn't until 1969 uh, that he was completely absolved after the fourth inquiry. His career was absolutely ruined. Um, But 
what was staggering you, you talk of 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 the details i think it was um he you know he he was got he got notified of, of his dismissal from uh, bea as it was at the time british european airways yep um but this absolutely incredible um incredible anecdote that after the first inquiry bea sent him an invoice because his airline cap had been lost in the wreckage of the munich crash and you think you know you think of of these little details that completely get from you know you talk you you know we live in an age now thankfully of post-traumatic stress and understanding of loss and trauma and chaos in your life this is the stuff that people had to live with in the aftermath of this. You know, you talk about how obviously Bobby Charlton is, is probably still struggling with it and coming to terms with it. This is James Thane, the pilot who survived, gets sent an invoice from his employers about his cap that went missing on a bloody runway. Um, and it was, I mean, it's 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 weird the stuff that, that, that is still out there and, and the kind of the people embedded in this story that may be slightly forgotten about in all of this. Um, but James Tain is, is is one of those characters that I just wanted to touch on and, and uh, just just talk about in, in terms of a guy that shouldered so much of the responsibility and so much of the blame really for, for, for not doing anything at all. Um, so it's uh, it's hard to believe 60 years, but uh, it's and it's hey, listen, it's it's still very much in, in so many people's thoughts and, and, and thankfully so. Yeah. Well, thanks uh, for your your thoughts on that. It's obviously, tomorrow is a very special day, not just for Manchester United fans, but a whole generation of people who's, who uh, remember vividly what happened on February 6, 1958. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra. Keep up to speed with the podcast and get all the latest news, musings and rants from Bobby and Owen by liking us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Now, back to the show. And the bit you've really all been waiting for, apart from the finish, Postscript, where we call upon our keeper of the facts. What have you got for us this week, Luke? A couple of things. So I just wanted to confirm, uh, Sir Bobby Charlton, uh, born October 11th, 1937. He is 80 years old. Um, Owen was looking for a stat about Chelsea and, and heavy or lopsided defeats. So they've they suffered a second successive defeat by three goals, um, and that was the first time in 22 years that that's uh, happened to them. That's a stat that came out of the Guardian. Nice. Oh, when you were talking about the, um, I think you were thinking of the offside goal, uh, Manchester United from Europa League playing uh, CSKA Moscow, December 5th, 2017. That's the one. Daily Blind slides off the park, and Alan. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, uh, Jagoev's d- uh, deflects a Vatino shot. That's exactly in, the one I was thinking. They of. call it the yes. offside goal. Yeah. The offside. So that, that's that one. <laughs> and then, and then of course, we were uh, th- what started with the the uh, the oddly ruled offside goal. We we're talking about uh, Bob. You mentioned Gold Cup, and so that was the semi yeah. semi final of the 2007 Gold Cup uh, played at Soldier Field, Chicago, USA versus Canada. Uh, the US had a two nil halftime lead with first half goals from Freddie Hayduke, and then Landon Donovan scored on a penalty kick. Uh, then uh, Hume scored a goal for Canada in the 76th, and then Michael Bradley was sent off in the 88th, and then in the last minute, Atiba Hutchison had a goal disallowed because uh, but, but the ball did it was played through to him, and he beat the offside trap because the ball went off of Onyewu's head, but uh, our favorite Mexican referee, Benito Archundia, decided that it was <laughs> an, an offside goal, so there was no last-minute equalizer. Canada lost the semi. Oh, and then just I just want one last little note there that the the, the coach of the Canadian men's national team at the time was uh, Stephen Hart. Oh, just, there we go. Yeah. Just um, as well, just to clarify, the um, when Manchester United did go to the European Cup final and win it in 1968, um, they did they took a one nothing lead to the Bernabeu um, or the Bernabeu, depending on what generation <laughs> you're from, and um, they were actually. Down three-one, with seventeen minutes left, and the goal they had scored was actually an own goal by Real Madrid. So it looked like very much Real Madrid were going to the '68 uh, European Cup final. David Sadler scored in the seventy-third minute, and then Bill Folks, uh, another one of the um, uh, Munich survivors, scored the goal in the seventy-eighth minute, and United went through four-three on aggregate. George Best scored the goal at Old Trafford. 
the that Bill Fuchs uh, link is sometimes it's just it's just set up, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it's so, something else going on somewhere out there to make something like that happen, really. And here's something nothing to do with the Munich disaster, really. But uh, just notice the name of the referee in that first leg game between Manchester United and Real Madrid was Tofik Bakramov, who is the same linesman who awarded the goal to England in the World Cup final when he was on the line. No way. Yeah, way. <laughs> Isn't that a strange one? I never, I, d- I don't remember anybody ever talking about that. Uh, there's, a, there's a story in that. Uh, there is. He's, uh, he was, um, I think, yeah, he died in 1993, Azerbaijan, um, I guess Soviet Union, but he was from Azerbaijan and he was the, he was a linesman that uh, got involved in that, uh, um, that somewhat controversial goal from Jeff Hurst. And uh, after his death, just reading this, Azerbaijan's then national stadium was renamed the Tofik Barramov Stadium in his honour. How many stadiums are named after a referee? <laughs> what, the, John like many, the, the John Moss Stadium has a certain ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool are selling the naming rights. Moss side? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thanks very much, guys, and um, we'll be back next week. For someone who's so keen to snuggle, you cause a lot of trouble. Thanks for listening to Soccer Report Extra. To keep tabs on the podcast and get all the latest news, musings, and rants from Bobby and Owen, like us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Music for this podcast graciously provided by Manitoba's hottest indie pop group, Misery Slims. Check them out on Spotify and YouTube. And follow the band on Facebook at Misery Slims.